thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Spiritual warfare. We hear this term a lot in the Christian culture, but here's the question, what is it? What is spiritual warfare? Just because you and I are saying spiritual warfare does not mean we have the same definition of spiritual warfare. Amen? That's just the reality. It's kind of like this. If I said, I said man, uh, mom's cooking is great. Well, it depends on who your mom is. My mom, her cooking's great. I've been over some friends' houses, and I thought, your mama's cooking stinks. My mama's cooking's good. So what I'm saying is this. They're different. Just because we say mom's cooking doesn't mean it's mom, my mom's cooking. So we need to understand that we allow um, the right thing to really speak to our definition of the terms. And so we're going to look at spiritual warfare. There's different types of definitions, but we're going to do our best to allow God's word to shape um, all that we are and what we believe about this. So I want to start by looking in the book of Ephesians. And so um, it's very important because we pull a, a major piece of how we view spiritual warfare out of Ephesians chapter 6. But before we get there, it's important, I want us to understand the context of Ephesians. Because a lot of times we, we take scriptures and, and we, we, we will read them and say, wow, that's really great. But but what's important is you understand what was going on when that was written. What was happening? What was Paul addressing? What happened before and what happened after? And so we're going to look at the book of Ephesians. And it's important to know the condition of which Ephesians was written. So how was it written? Why was it written? And who was it written to? So in A.D. 62, Ephesians um, was written. But written by Paul. I want you to understand, where did Paul write it? That's a very important thing. Where did he write it? He was imprisoned in Rome again. He had been there before for preaching the gospel, for, for being a man of the kingdom, and the scene was grim. He was in a prison. I was actually in Rome. I, I went to the, to the place where they say Paul was held in prison. And you could look down in this grate and look through there, and it was this dark, nasty room. Just so you know, there was no toilet there. There was no um, cable TV. Um, there, there, it, it, wasn't, it was this hole in the ground. And they, many people believe, and what they believe, this is where Paul was held when he was held in Rome, which really kind of resonated deeply with me. And so, so imagine this. So I want you to get the picture. He's in this cell. There's the stench of human waste. There's, the, the air is stale. His eyes are probably burning because of the situation he was in. And he's sitting with a traditional Roman guard, and he's shackled to this Roman guard. His hands and his feet are shackled. His body is tired. He is frail. He is aging. His beard and his hair are matted. I hope you're getting the picture. He stinks. And while he's there, Paul writes four letters to four different groups of people. He writes it to um, the, the, they're called the prison epistles, what we call them. He writes them to the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, and he writes um, Philemon as well. And so this is the condition in which he wrote this book. So it helps you understand as we get ready to read it, 
kind of his heart and what's going through. So this, and when you read this, you, you sense this message from Paul. It's very clear in how he writes it. He says this, you can imprison my body. You can shackle my arms and legs. You can restrict what I do and what I see. But you cannot incarcerate my joy. You cannot steal my hope. And nor will you ever take my inheritance. And so he writes to these Christians around the world, and he writes to you today these things. No matter what you're going through, no matter where you're at, no matter what hole in the ground you're in, it can't take your joy, it can't take your hope, it can't take your life, and it cannot, it may take your physical life, but it cannot take your inheritance because it's yours. It belongs to you. We're each, we're all going to get it. So there's three areas or seasons that Paul deals with in Ephesians. And I want us to look at it. It's important we understand it before we get into Ephesians 6, which is a, a classic um, spiritual warfare uh, what pe- many people would use the armor of God, but I'm going to approach it in a different way. But the first one or season that Paul's talking about in Ephesians leading up to where we're going to go is this. The first one is sitting. It's the first season. It's sitting. And Paul writes about this. He's writing through this in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, he says this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgression, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us. So there's, we're sitting. This is a great season of sitting. He seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I want to talk about the season called sitting, okay? The season's great. This, this season of sitting is a season of resting. It's a, it's a season of relaxing. This is a season that um, it's all about how much God loves us. And all of us can remember a season. We just were overwhelmed with God's love. We just felt loved by him. It's, it's, it, it's as though even when I try to pray longer and I read more, it's, it's almost as like it just messes things up. It's just we're just always, it, it doesn't matter what we do, God's love is with us all the time. And if we try to, to do anything, it's like God's like, just relax. I love you. Has anyone ever been in a season like that? And we feel it. It's like, just, just enjoy me right now. It's a season of rest. Just rest. It's like the beginning of Psalm 23. That is exactly what we're experiencing in this season of sitting. God makes us lie down in green pastures. He's killing us with kindness. We're, we're, we're drinking Arnold Palmer's on the back porch watching the sunset. It's just like, man, Jesus, this is good. And it's so fun. Our cup runneth over. It's, uh, it's all about God's goodness. And there, this is a season that God leads us through. It's one of the seasons that we walked in. This is what Paul's talking about. It's in, in, it's in these times of sitting that words like warfare, words like battle or weapons or struggle, it's like they're totally irrelevant to us because God has us in this protection season of resting. And Paul is addressing this. And I believe these seasons exist to prepare us for effective, radical living down the road. But for a season, we're to rest. So it's kind of like we're, it's kind of like this. You can only stay in a hot tub for so long. 
When you first get in, you go, oh, this is great. This is great. But you can't stay there forever because you'll be a wrinkly old raisin by the time you get out. But it's there for a purpose. Now, Paul says nothing about hot tubs. That's my interpretation of sitting, okay? It's there for a purpose, resting. Now, this season leads to another season. The second season that leads up to Ephesians 6 is that Paul's dealing with is the season of walking. This is a season of walking. I love how um, I heard one pastor set this passage up that Paul wrote. He said this, I envision the aged apostle persevering through the long perilous nights in that dark, damp dungeon. He struggles to his feet. His body etched from beatings and stonings. Racked with pain, the old man begins to pace the floor of the cell as as the meticulous inscribes this phrase on parchment. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. There's this picture. And so whatever God uses to stir up these words in Paul's heart, they're completely different than what he wrote a few days earlier. Before it was rest, you're seated, relax. Then it moves to you're walking in this new season. Walking seasons, and hopefully we can understand this, are marked by what we do to co-labor with God's divine purposes is how we're walking, how we're executing some of his plans, some of his purposes. We're extending the borders of the kingdom. We're pushing back things. We're beginning to move forward. It's, it's like now we, we're beginning to understand where we're going and why we're going there. And so the time for us to sit and rest has passed. And we're to put, uh, we, put a, put, we need to put our drink down. It's time you put your shoes on, you get off the back porch, and you begin to walk because this time of resting is over. And if you want to stay on the, a lot of people, they say, I just want to stay on the back porch. But what happens is, is the angels stop bringing you Arnold Palmer's. Because it's time for you to start walking. And so this season that Paul's talking about is walking. And so it's time for us to walk out God's call and purpose for our lives. Now, the season of, sorry, then this season is, the next one is standing. And that's what we're going to be talking about of spiritual warfare, of standing. Think about Paul writing this letter. He's thinking about what is a Christian like, okay? So he's writing this letter. He, he comes to Ephesians chapter 6, just so you know, that we didn't, there, weren't, were, there weren't numbers, there weren't chapters and verses in Scripture. Actually, it's, ve- it's understood that the chapter and verses, they're, they're, not, they're not inspired by the Holy Spirit because they weren't written by Paul and they weren't written by the writers of Scripture. But we added them later so we can, so we can have church and say, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 3, right? God can still use them and all of that stuff, but the, the, the apostles and the writers of Scripture did not put in chapters and verses. They wrote these as letters. And so he, he's talking, he's writing this letter. He's in prison in Rome writing this, and he looks up, and he's asking a question, man, what is it like to be a Christian? What is it, how can I write these Ephesians who it's time for them to begin standing? 
It's time for them to, to lean in and stand and be strong. What is it like to be a Christian? So remember, he's in Rome. Remember, he's in a jail cell. Remember um, who's guarding him. And he looks up. He says, what is it like to be a Christian? And what does he see? What do you think he sees? You can answer me. It's fine. He sees a guard. And he looks over this Roman guard and he says, huh, that's what being a Christian's like. That's, I, I, that's why he, he wrote what he wrote. He wrote because he, he was writing the church. He says, what is it like to be a Christian? What is it like to be a Christian? How can I encourage you? And he sees the guard. He says, it's like the guard. That's what it's like to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. And see, this is, then he begins to write Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. And so we're going to read this. He says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Remember, he's watching this Roman guard. Full armor. Every piece he's man, every area is covered. Every area is protected. That's what being a Christian is like. So, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, again, there's this season of, now it's a season of standing. So you're able to stand your ground. After you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up your shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Do you see it? Do you see he's looking at this guard? He's got a belt. What would that that'd be like a belt of truth? He's got, he's got a breastplate that protects. You know, that's like righteousness. It's, it, to me, that's fascinating. He's got a shield. The shield is like faith. And God uses this, this situation for us today that we're reading that Paul's talking about what it means to be this standing and this fighter. Verse 16, in addition to all this, take your shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So I want us to get an understanding of the foundation of spiritual warfare. So everyone, here's the reality. Everyone wants to cast out a devil because we think, boy, that's spiritual warfare. You're going to just cast out. You're going to be like Jesus. He, re, he comes into the legion. Hey, come out in the name, you know, in, well, not in the name of Jesus, in my name. Get out of here. And they leave. But what we need to understand are the basics of spiritual warfare because, because it's not that. There's a daily, uh, and the best way to understand, there's a daily grind of spiritual Warfare. So the first thing I want to look at is this, and Pastor George talked a little about this last week, is this. There is the reality of warfare. This is real. Spiritual warfare exists. 
And I'll talk more about this in just a moment. But, but spiritual warfare, it's not for the spiritual elite to those who, who have, well, it's for those who do that thing for a living. It's those who are on TV. It's those who, who, uh, who are missionaries in another country. No, spiritual warfare, that's not what this is about. It's not those who have qualified for the spiritual Olympics and now they're sent out to do spiritual warfare. That is the wrong idea of spiritual warfare. Or it's not those who, uh, who, who just have a, a stronger personality than others. Spiritual warfare is the reality or it's the fact of Christian life whether we believe it or not. It's just a reality. C.S. Lewis said this. He says, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. So it's a constant battle that we are in. We are standing constantly. And this is the world you and I live in. Notice in this passage of spiritual warfare, the key passage of spiritual warfare that we use all the time, there's no mention of casting out demons. Notice that. There's no mention of, of, of that. There's no mention of, of picking up a sword and, 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 you know, and symbolically cutting off demons off of people. There's none of that. Spiritual warfare is not, it's not that. It's actually a lot deeper than that. And I want us to understand that because it's so important. So spiritual warfare isn't just, uh, an, it's not an exorcism. It's an everyday thing that Paul is talking about. It's an everyday thing. And so here's the key. I want you to hear this. Spiritual warfare is not an event. A lot of times we, we, uh, we use it as an event. We'll say it's an event. We say, we're, we're going to do, do some spiritual warfare. It's not an event. According to Scripture, it's not an event. It's not something you do on a certain occasion. But listen, it's something that you're involved in all the time. It's so, what I mean by that, it says it's everything you think, every thought you have, you're engaged in a spiritual warfare. And I'll talk more about that. Every relationship you have, you're engaging in spiritual warfare. The way you respond to things in your life, how you respond in traffic, I'm telling you, it's spiritual warfare. You're like, no, I don't believe that. What? That's not good. How do you respond to people in, in, at church? It's spiritual warfare. And what I mean by it's spiritual warfare, what I mean is this. The enemy is always trying to influence what you think. He's always trying to influence every relationship you have. And he's always trying to influence how you respond to every situation. That's what's happening. So that's why we need to be aware. So Paul is encouraging the church, these Christians, to do this. Be strong, put on armor, because we wrestle. That's why. Be strong, put on armor, because we wrestle. This is, this is the life you and I live. It's the reality of following Jesus. We are, we have been saved, we have been redeemed, you have been commissioned by God to push back the gates of hell, to invade that which is dark with the light of Jesus Christ. Just by you walking into a grocery store with Jesus living inside of you is affecting things. You don't realize it. And so the enemy is always wanting to 
poke you and put a wrong thought in your head, cause you to, to lose your joy, and all these things are incorporated in it. And you may think, well, Jason, this isn't the spiritual thing I wanted. I wanted to know how to karate chop the devil. You will karate chop the devil if we understand these daily principles of spiritual warfare. So the first revelation that we have about spiritual warfare is that we are in a fight. It's the reality of it. We're in a boxing ring whether you like it or not. And so it's either, it's either punch or be punched. It's either punch or be punched. Spiritual warfare, it's not about going around rebuking demons all the time. But it's something all of us who follow Jesus are engaged with. I really want you to understand that. In the passage of this scripture, it's, it's the, it, what's interesting in Ephesians is it's the conclusion of the book of Ephesians. It's not the, it's not the, uh, the, 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 center, the central message. It's actually the conclusion. It's kind of like, like if I was to write you a letter, in conclusion... This is, this is what's important. So what I say in conclusion has something behind it. There's context behind it. And so um, it's the conclusion. It sums up and ties everything together that's been said. And in many ways, the conclusion, it's, it's the exclamation point on the whole letter. It's the exclamation point. It's the, hey, listen up to this conclusion. But to understand the exclamation point, we need to understand the whole body of the letter. So when Paul says, finally be strong, finally, which means this, there are things before it, but finally be strong. There's more information tied to this statement. There's more information tied to this, to, which is a battle. So two things that I've already uh, talked about a little bit, but um, to prepare you for the battle. There are two things that are going to prepare you for the battle. For one, and what Paul talked about in Ephesians, is number one, knowing who you are in Christ. It's very important that you understand this. In other words, know what happened at the cross for you. Because if you don't understand what happened to you at the cross, you, you won't understand any of this. And the enemy always wants to attack that piece. What did Jesus really do? Well, here's, here's the reality. Jesus saved you. Jesus redeemed you. He took you from your old life, and he put you in himself. It says we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So now we're covered by him. So what happened to you? You, you got a brand new life. You're no longer the same person. The second thing that prepares you for battle is to know our responsibility or living responsibly before God on this earth. Very important. And I'll talk about these two things. So if you know who you are in Christ, you're living responsible before God, then you're ready for the finally. So remember, this is what he addressed. He addressed in the earlier chapters who you are in Christ. He addressed in the earlier chapters what Jesus did for you at the cross. He addressed in the earlier chapters and you're to live responsibly. And this is your responsibility. So after you talked about all that, finally... Be strong in the Lord so you are ready for battle. So something I want to look at here, this statement, and just so you understand how I'm approaching this, I'm just approaching this very slowly, very methodically, just so, so my prayer that God would speak to us and empower us in a, in a very um, significant way. But if you are in the Lord, then you are strong. 
But maybe a better way to understand that, and actually how this language is written, is that you have strength available to you. So if you are in the Lord, you have strength available to you. It is available to you. So not only am I strong in the Lord, not only are you strong in the Lord, it also goes on to say, he goes on to say, you are strong in his mighty power. What does that mean? What does it mean that you're strong in God's mighty power? Which this is a beautiful description of grace, which is this, that it's not about, actually, it's about his ability, not mine. It's about who he is. It's about the strength that is available through him. And so we're doing battle. I want you to understand this under the covenant of grace. We're doing battle under the covenant of the cross. We're doing battle because of what Jesus purchased and accomplished, which was his ability, not mine. So this whole idea of spiritual warfare, it's kind of like I could go to the gym. It's kind of like we got to work out and, you know, we got to do this and you have the right this on. And, what, you know, it's like you got to get ready. And, and actually, it's not about your ability at all. It's about Jesus' ability. It's about what he's done in your life. And so the first point of this is that warfare is a reality. The second statement I want to look at here comes out of verse 12, and, and uh, this is a big one for me, and it's this. The battle, it's not against flesh and blood. Can we say that together? It's not against flesh and blood. Now, what does that even mean? We say this all the time. Well, you know, the battle's not against flesh and blood. We say it all the time. But do we believe this? Do, you, do we believe it? Because I know a lot of people that fight with one another. I fight with people too. Ask my wife. She'll say, yeah, absolutely. He fights with me. The battle is not against flesh and blood. If we believe this, then it would actually change our behavior and how we approach situations. We would see that it's not a, about the individual. So it's not against people. So this is a, an understanding um, that I want us to, to get this. Stop, we're to stop fighting each other, and we're to start fighting the devil. I went to this, um, this pastor in Louisiana, and he was talking about marriage, and, um, and he, was, he, was talk, he said, you know, listen. He said, he said, I'll sit with people and these married couples, and they're fighting. Like, th- things are happening. Things are breaking down in the family. Man, they're just going at it with each other. And it, Well, but he does this, and he does that, but she is this, and I can't understand this. And he said, all of a sudden, they're fighting one another, fighting one another. And I've asked them, have you guys fought the devil at all in this? Yeah, but it's his fault. No, hang on. Obviously, the enemy is influencing the way you view, the way you process, the way you think through some of these things. And so we got to stop fighting each other and start fighting the devil. And I believe that's what was Paul was saying. He was going out of his way to say this. We cannot defeat the enemy if we're fighting one another. We cannot defeat the enemy if we're fighting one another. Satan knows this. He is fully aware of this. And so he completely convinces us to convinces us a real enemy is an individual. 
He convinces us our real enemy is a group of people. Our real enemy is this particular party. Our real enemy is this particular person or leader. And all of a sudden, he's got us so worked up in a froth and a frenzy. Boy, that person, that individual, and actually, they're not the problem. You've got to come up to another level. And Paul's trying to, it's kind of, he's trying to pull the Ephesians up away from this to backing up and seeing this. It's the old saying is, you, you, listen, you've missed the forest because of the one tree. And so, you're, and so the enemy knows, if I can just get him focused on that one person or that one individual or that one thing that we just, boy, I just can't stand them and they're this and they're that, well, then listen, he's got us right where he wants us. People are never the enemy. And that's very hard. I mean, even now, and I'm saying that, I'm sure some of you are thinking, yes, but, <laughs> yes, I, but maybe. But people are never the enemy. What does Scripture mean by the battle, the war that we fight is not against flesh and blood? It means that people are not the enemy. Say that with me. People are not the enemy. So when you have a negative thought and you start to thinking bad about somebody, wait, listen, they're not your enemy. Two things are happening. Either you're allowing Satan to put negative thoughts in you towards them. Or, listen, the reality is people have stupid behavior. They do stupid things. And if it's affecting you and you're in this battle, and it, listen, they're not the enemy. Satan's the enemy. I'm not going to allow this person to steal my joy, nor am I going to allow the enemy to steal my joy. So I'm going to begin resisting and standing against the enemy. And there we, that's when we become empowered. So all of us are fighters by nature. So when we're exposed to injustice, we're exposed to, even if it's in a movie, we see something and, and we want, you know, we see something bad happen to a good person, we want justice. And the movie industry, that's what they do. They play on this, this thing that God put in us, that, this, that we want to see justice happen when injustice takes place. And so we're all actually fighters by nature. And we want wrongs to be righted that when it comes with the fight. We want, but in order to right a wrong, you have to fight. That's just how, how it goes. So we all have a need to fight, but how we direct that fight will either give us defeat or victory. So however you direct this fight, it's going to either give you defeat or victory. So if we do not fight the devil, I, I want you to hear this. This is, the, this is a big one. If we do not fight the devil... We will fight each other. If we do not fight the devil, we will fight each other. You, know, you don't have to teach a child to fight. You don't have to teach us to fight. But if we, if it, when we're surrounded by injustices, by the pain in the world, by the hurts, by our own disappointments, by personal things, things done to others and things done to us, Unless we take those emotions of, of feelings, unless we take those, those things that kind of grind us the wrong way and we deposit them into warfare, 
And we deposit them into intercession. And we deposit them into loving service to people around you. If you don't do that, you will deposit those emotions into someone's ear. You will just just put it just right in there. And you'll begin to fight that person. And so you have to discharge what was built up inside of you. And this is how we do it. We do it through intercession. We do it through prayer. We do it through warfare. We do it through loving service to other people. It does something profound in your life. And if you, when you have these negative emotions, if you will stop for a second and say, in, in the name of Jesus, I come against every demonic force, everything that Satan is doing. I take authority over you in the name of Jesus. No matter what I'm, emotions I'm feeling, I, Lord, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a lot of anger right now. But in the name of Jesus, I, t- I come against the enemy who would, who would try to influence my emotions this way. And I deposit this anger that I want to put on somebody else. And I'm, I'm going to move this over to, in, to Satan. Satan, I can't stand you. I'm so sick of what you're doing in my life. I come against you through, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, those negative emotions begin to be used on him. And that's just reality of where we're at. And then we become to, we intercede. This other thing of loving service to others. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. That's why David says that loving your enemies is like what? Heaping hot coals on their head. Listen, if you really want to get back at somebody, man, just love the heck out of them. But don't let that be your motivation. (laughs) You're like, I'm going to love you, but I'm telling you, hot coals is coming your way. And this is just the reality of spiritual warfare. All of us are confronted by these injustices. All of us are hurt. All of us, you know, we're, we're so, some of, we're, we're very sensitive. And I think people that, that are sensitive, people who get offended easy, and I, I believe probably one of their gifting is probably intercession. And the enemy has come in and, and moved those emotions, how God made them, to be able to, man, they could put a case against an individual and rip them to shreds. And you think, well, they're bitter, they're angry. They are because they never used that feeling of injustice or thing inside of them to actually deposit it in the right direction. And so what happens is, that people who are working in churches, believe it or not, organizations, you begin to pick up offenses. And so you begin to fight against the very organization that you came to serve, like a church, or the very organization, or the very people that you wanted to become a part of, each other. This happens all the time. It happens in, in world missions. I've been there. I've seen it. it. Happens all the time. Happens in churches. Happens in nonprofits. Happens in marriages. Happens in parenting. Unless you fight the devil, you will end up fighting people regardless of your personality. Unless you are set. Pastor Blake and I, we were very closely together. And a lot of people in here, Heather, Heather's my, um, my assistant, and 
I, we work close together, and we, and personally between Pastor Blake and I and Heather and I and other things, we realize when there is tension, even in the office, we can go have a conversation about, about something or something that happened, or you know what, we can go to that individual and we can start talking about things and, and, and we, can, we can work it out. We know this. There is spiritual warfare. We work together. John and Shelley, and we work together to serve you as a church. We work together. We have to guard our relationship. If something comes up, the enemy would love to bring something between, between those who lead us in worship and those who lead us in teaching of the word. Love to bring this like friction between all this. So how, how, what do we do? We pray together. We, we pray for one another. It's a discipline that we always have to have. And when we don't have it, all of a sudden, those emotions and, and discharges and things that we, there's just natural stresses of life begin to work on each other. And so we have to understand the enemy wants to do things and wants to bring dissension. And so um, the subject of spiritual warfare, it's not just a subject. It's just not the series that we move on. It's necessary, I'm going to say this, it's necessary for our mental health. It's necessary. Because you can become bitter, you can become resentful, you can become angry, you can become grumpy and anxious and suspicious. We have this saying that we, we're doing our best to, to do this, but if there's a gap of information between our relationship and the, and the leaders and pastors we work with, there's a gap of information, we don't fill it with suspicion, we fill it with trust. We fill it with grace. We fill it with, I'm not going to think there's something negative happening because the enemy is always trying to do that. Just not in a staff, in marriage, in parenting, and in church life. And, you know, why did Jason say that? And did he really mean this? And why did Pastor George do this? And all of these things, you've got to say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. This is spiritual warfare. You, may have, you might be thinking, I don't know if that's spiritual warfare. I'm telling you, it is spiritual warfare. It's necessary. This is not an option, spiritual warfare. It's a reality. This is not about um, signing up for a war. This is about realizing we are in a war. We are in a war. Whether you want to be or not, we don't send people out to fight the devil. The Bible says we're already in a fight. And that's what Paul is saying. And it's either, again, it's the other understanding. It's time to, it's either we punch or we be punched. But, God, but Paul is telling the church to stand, stand firm. And we must fight the enemy or we will fight one another. You know, when, if, if we're fighting people, then we are having a negative effect in the spirit world. We really are. If we're fighting one another, we're having a negative effect in the spiritual, in the spirit world. Our Christian foundation actually was founded on protest. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. It was founded on protest. That's, do you know that's why we're called Protestants? Because we protested. Horrible things were done to people because Christians were fighting people and other Christians. It's just naturally just kind of who we are. But people are not the enemy. Catholics are not the enemy. Protestants are not the enemy. And a person with a different belief or a thought on Scripture is not the enemy. You might be thinking, I'm overdoing this. But th to me, this is so important. When we fight one another, we cripple what God wants to do on the earth. For married people, the for, for every person, 
It's a lie from the devil himself that you have to be right. Did you know that? It's a lie. You don't have to be right. Our Western culture has put this being right above being in unity. Yes, you want to be right about theological things and things that are very core to Scripture, but there are some things that ju- it just doesn't matter. But, man, we will fight over them. We will fight over, and I've seen this, sadly, I've seen over worship music. Churches split because it's not my preference of music. It's really, it's really something. People reject individuals that they were called to be a part of church of because a particular leader doesn't dress like they think he should. I'll never forget, Pastor George is telling me a story when he um, took over the church. He said, Jason, he said, you, you want to see some crazy stuff? He said, you should have been there the first time I walked out on stage without a tie on. He said, he said, what was funny is on his way to the stage, one of the ushers saw him and came up to him and was taking his tie. Here, Pastor, you forgot your tie. And he said, you know, I got a lot of letters that week. People were upset. People were so, you, you call yourself a pastor. It's, isn't it funny? And you think, well, that's just someone who has a bad attitude. No, that is Satan bringing disunity within the body of Christ. Because let me ask you this. Does God care if Pastor George wore a tie or not? I don't, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think, no, he doesn't. You're right. Does God care? What are the things that God really cares of? And so this is so important for us to understand these things. Notice I use Pastor George as an example and not me. So that's okay. We can move on from there. <laughs> People are not the enemy. The natural world is not the enemy. And this is not a, a natural battle. It's a supernatural battle that we're engaged in. And so knowing this gives us a step. Listen, listen to this. Knowing gives us a step above everybody else. Knowing this gives, us, uh, gives uh, a step on the psychic on the witch, on the warlock, on the witch doctor, on the Satanist, on the New Ager. We should be ahead of all these people. We should, we should understand the spiritual world greater than all these people. And, the, and actually, there are experts in the spirit, spirit world, and they're not even Christians. Because they, they understand there was a spiritual world somewhere. We, as Christians, we've reduced a lot of things just to, just to physical things, just to just you and me, flesh, and working out things, and us working in and dialect, and how we said this and how we said that, and my preferences here and there. Actually, we missed the whole point. There is a spirit battle that's going on. We need to understand God's inviting us into, this, into his spirit to understand and see the spirit world. Not, I'm not talking about mystifying, but I'm talking about having the authority over it from our place in Christ. Jesus said, I drive out the devil by the Spirit. That's what Jesus says. So we live in a spirit world that Jesus equipped us to fight against. And so we need to understand that. Jesus actually told the disciples, don't leave Jerusalem until the Spirit comes why? Because they, he knew they would be vulnerable without it. So there was a spirit world we're engaged in, and we live in a natural world that's surrounded by the supernatural. And something we need to understand, people are not the enemy. And we need to become familiar with that phrase. 
So when, when all of a sudden you feel your emotions against that person, they made a decision I didn't agree with and that person. And all of a sudden that begins to affect your spirit begins to affect your joy, begins to affect, even affect your posture. You, and then this is how you know you're struggling with something against someone. When you see them, something in you goes, yeah. Oh, you just feel it. It just pops up. I've felt it before. I know all of us have. Someone did something you didn't think they should have done or a decision that made, and we filled that gap of information with suspicion. They did it because of this. And when we come, we see them, something in us, just we kind of throw up in our mouth a little bit. Like, Ugh. Why? Because we're fighting people. We're not, we're not saying, you know, I'm not going to allow this to steal my joy. I'm going to begin to fight the enemy. What if they did make a wrong decision? Why don't you pray for them? Lord, help them. Lord, I, I know they made that decision, and, and I don't know why they did it, but I just pray that you would bless them, that you would help them make better decisions in the future. I, don't let someone's decision about something else or someone else drive you away from a relationship because the enemy wants to do that. Third thing to point out in this passage, and we'll close with this, is this, the devil has strategies. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God, God that you can... Take your stand against the devil's schemes. Everyone say schemes. Paul is talking about a thought about planned out strategy. This, this is a great picture of the reality in the realm of the spiritual world. Evil is not a force, okay? It's not um, Darth Vader. It's not, it's not a force. It's not a thing. It is the manifestation of the intellect and personality of Satan. It's a strategy of Satan. So when he says the schemes of the enemy, this means this is a, when the schemes of the enemy are the plans of Satan himself. It's personality being worked out against you. Every evil comes from the personality of, being, of a being called Satan. Every evil. It's his plan. It's his strategy. It's his scheme, how he's working it. Every good comes from the personality of an of uncreated being called God. All truth, all good, all joy, everything good comes from God. Evil is not something that just happens. It is incredibly intentional. It is personal from Satan himself. So evil is just, some, just not something that's just spinning off in the world. It is a strategy. It is a scheme. He is trying to, to one, he's trying to degrade humanity. And so he creates evil schemes and strategies. He convinces people to believe in certain things and certain ways of living. He begins to tell them that they need this in their life to really satisfy. And what's he doing? He, he, he knows the creation of God, of us. We, we were created, I just had this conversation, we were created by God out of, we were second in a secondary creation, and I'll explain what I mean. He created the earth. He created the earth first. But then he took earth and he made us. So really it's like a second level creation. God doesn't see it that way, but I believe Satan did. Satan was this being who 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 was spoken by God and created. He, he lived, he, was, he, was, uh, he had every jewel, he, 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 he was the man. 
He led, he led them in, in, in worship. Some scholars would say he was, he was the light. He was the pinnacle of creation for angelic beings. And then God made man. And then he commissioned angels to serve man, to help men. Satan didn't like that. So he spent his, his, all of his strategies are to, uh, to, to devalue and discredit the creation of God, which was man. So the devil has these strategies. And we need to remember evil is, is not impersonal. It is very personal. It's very personal. Your temptation's very personal from, from Satan. He's been watching you. He knows. And he tempts you. He's personal. Also, good is not something that happens either. It is personal from God. It flows from him. It is part of who he is. So we're talking about evil beings that have intellect and, intellect and feelings, that they communicate, they can talk. This is how they tempt us. And the thought is, the thought of the enemy is always a lie. It's always the root of it is a lie. And so... What's interesting is that the enemy, a lot of times, the lies always sound like truth. Because if they didn't sound like truth, we would see it as a lie and we wouldn't believe it. That's the cleverness of Satan. He, he knows how to lie. He knows how to say things to us. He knows how to say, you deserve that or you need that or that's really not that bad and that's well God would understand or hath God did God really say that's what he told Eve and there's an order to truth and so um, even interesting in Matthew chapter 4 and I, I, I am moving very slowly through this and, um, and I'll, I'll close with, with Matthew chapter 4 Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus. I want you to, to understand um, there's an order to truth. And, and Satan tries to get that order upside down. So it says in 4 verse 1, it says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Interesting, it says before Satan told him that, he had been fasting for 40 days. And so it's two, two things. He tempts Jesus with saying, if you're the son of God. In other words, the, the, the humanity in Jesus says, oh, I am the son of God. And so in other words, Satan was saying, well, prove it. If you are the son of God. Make these stones turn into bread. Now, at that point, after you've been fasting for 40 days, there's one thing you really want, and that's some bread. So he says, if you're the son of God, make these stones into bread. So the truth was, he was the son of God. And the second thing, he could have made bread. But how does he respond? Jesus answered this. It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth. Of God, So Jesus says, hang on, yes, what you're saying is true. I could make these into bread. I am the son of God. You're right, you're right. I, I understand that, but it's truth out of order. It, it is, it, the motivation for that 
was wrong. It's, but it's, this is how, and I won't go through all of these, but this, you can go back and read Matthew 4, but this is how Satan tempted Jesus. He, he removed truth just a little bit out of order. And so at the root of most warfare over, person life, over a person's life comes first by believing a lie. It just becomes, that's just a reality. So how do we deal with demonic personalities tempting us or speaking to us? The Bible says this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So in other words, this is doing the opposite of what you are being tempted to do. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Was Jesus tempted to prove that he was the son of God and and, and turn that, those stones into bread. You better believe he was because it's called the temptation of Christ. He was tempted. But what did he do? He resisted and he did the opposite of that temptation. Or if I'm a, uh, if, if I am a personality, so if I'm a personality and the enemy is personalities, I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to have a conversation with them. I'm going to tell them, listen, I resist you in the name of Jesus. They can understand me. They understand these temptations. I resist you in the name of Jesus. Even though everything within me wants to give in, I resist you in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, if you'll do this, you will find yourself overcoming things in a very, very significant ways. So Dean Sherman, who many of you probably have read some of his stuff, and uh, he has some tremendous truth, and I, I, I got a lot of some of my research was using several of his um, books as well. He said this, spiritual warfare can be summed up into one sentence. Learning to recognize the strategies, refusing to cooperate with the strategies, and aggressively cutting them off in Jesus' name. And so every strategy we need to understand leads to deception, it leads to bondage, and it leads to destruction. And so here's, here's, here's the reality. If, you were, if, you were, if we know Satan has strategies, and, and one way of like, well, but what are those strategies? And I'll just give you this key, and then I'll, I'll wrap up. The key is this. If you were the devil, what would you do? He has great strategies, but what would you do, or what would I do if I were the devil? What would I do? You know you. How would you tempt you if you were the devil? He's been watching you. He knows you. Would he try to put bitterness and anger in your heart and rob you from, from joy that God has for you? Or here's another question. What would I try on my church if I were the devil? Again, we have a, he's a personality. He wants to destroy everything that God wants to succeed. So what would I do? Well, you know what I would do? I would, I would if I was the devil, I would I'd come against the leaders of the church. That's what I would do. I'd come against their families. I would also would, would put thoughts in people's minds to, to bring division, to begin to speak um, negatively against other people in the church and Hey, did you know this happened? Did you know that so? That's what I would do. What else would I do? You know, I, I would also, I, I'd get, I'd make the elders fight against each other. That's what I would do. That really would be good. Or, you know what I would do? I would, I would, man, I would put 
something in Pastor John that he just can't stand Pastor Jason. And so we, we, we normally, we're in unity, we come out, we, we worship together, but we come out and we're just like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to, you know, it, that's what I would do. I would do that. What, and here's the other question. What would, if you were the devil, what would you try on your family? What strategies would you make against your family? About, what about the nation? And so we can find out a lot about what the enemy's strategies are just by asking the question, if I was the devil, what would I do? And so I'll leave you with that tonight and as we, as we leave here. I mean, there are things that, that we could find out. There are things that we could say, you know what, if I was the devil, this is what I would do. And then we begin to pray against it. We begin to resist it. We begin to, to, to use scripture against it. We begin to, to stand strong. Because we're in a season where we're going to have to stand. We're going to have to, we're going to have to be people that stand strong. And there are strategies and there's personalities and there is an enemy. We are in a spiritual battle. The reality is we are in a war. We don't go to war, we are in a war. The reality is that there are schemes of the devil. But this is what we do know. That greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We don't have to be intimidated. We don't have to give the enemy this, this, uh, this overemphasized, ooh, he's big and bad. and yeah, yeah, he's powerful. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That at the mention of the name of Jesus, he gets the heck out of Dodge. I, I grew up on a farm and I grew up around barnyards and everything, and I always picture this whole understanding of if you have a, a, a chicken coop, and I can stand and say, man, there's a lot of chickens, and man, I, you know, I don't like the walk in the chickens because they're just nasty. I don't like them. I don't like chicken coops. But what happens, the moment I step into the chicken coop and I begin to walk, chickens just kind of, they just part. It's like they part the water. It's, if we understand we have the authority to just take a step into the chicken coop and begin to walk and to understand that we have authority over things. The enemy, in the name of Jesus and the power in which we walk in, he cannot, he cannot come against us. He, if, we are, if we are doing spiritual warfare in the power of Jesus Christ and the grace of him, we do it because of who he is. And we begin, we take these emotions that we have, we invest them into intercession. We invest them into praying for one another. We invest them into warfare against what the enemy is doing in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships, and who we work with and who we process with. And if we just pray, if we feel negative emotions, stop. People are not the enemy. Because the battle that we fight is not against flesh and blood. And so my prayer for us, and, and this was a very beginning step into the spiritual warfare, but it's the key. For one, people are not the enemy. It's the key to understand that this is what being a Christian is like. We're always engaged in a battle. You always are. And that's just the reality of where you're at. So no matter what, no matter what you're going through, I guarantee you in this room, there are lots of battles going on. 
through lots of things you're dealing with, you're processing through. And if you could take one key from this message tonight and you can begin to apply it. If you're here and you struggle with anger and bitterness, stop directing that towards people. Direct it towards prayer. Direct it towards the enemy. Say, I will no longer allow you to influence my emotions that get me so out of whack and drive divisions between people I love or people I used to love and, and people in church I used to be with. And I will no longer do that. If, if you're brokenhearted because of a situation, begin for one, let the Lord heal you, but then take those emotions and, Lord, I pray for that individual. I pray, God, that you would help them. And begin to break stronghold of the enemy over your life by always influencing your negative thoughts and negative emotions. And I believe God wants to do something amazing. He wants to set us free. And we need to remember we need to remember that Jesus says, I've come to give you life and to more and to in that life to be more abundantly. And to let us live that life of abundant life. And so that's what God has for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for goodness. So thank you for your word, this teaching, Lord, of out of Ephesians. Lord, they're your words. They're not, um, they're not mine. And God, whatever I've said tonight that is not right, Lord, I just ask you that you would correct it or shape it if that's the case. That the we would only hear what is your truth. But Lord, let these words go deep in us. Let us make decisions to live lives of unity and peace, to live lives in harmony with one another. Lord, I I thank you for every person here, God, for our church. That we come to serve you. We come to give you our lives. And God, I pray that you would raise up a standard. That we would lift our eyes and our ears and our minds. That we could fight against the schemes of the devil. That we could recognize we are in a spiritual battle. That people are not the enemy. And that as we press into you, God, that you can empower us and lead us to overcome the works of the enemy. And so, Lord, I pray you go with us, you would lead us, you would guide us, you bring us back safely next week. In Jesus' name we pray. We all say, amen. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.